welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. All right, welcome to another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm your host, Joe Boris, and I am here today with Noah Ryder and Michelle Syed-Navid from Wartsala. And well, Noah, you're not actually from Wartsala. You're from uh, a, a different company. Why don't you introduce yourself properly? All right. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm Noah Ryder, and I'm with a, a group called Fire and Risk Alliance. And we uh, have the pleasure of working with, with Wartsala you know, quite frequently. So uh, that's why I'm here. Wonderful stuff. And Michelle, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role at Wartsala? Yeah, good to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. My name is Michelle Said-Navid. I am Wartsala's fire protection engineer. In my capacity, I support and lead fire protection code compliance design reviews. Uh, We're honestly a part of a dynamic group of individuals that strive for an industry-leading fire and explosion safety mindset. Uh, We work in conjunction with partners like Fire and Risk Alliance uh, to achieve that. So now, Michelle, we're all here to talk about battery energy, battery energy storage systems, best systems. For those who may not be familiar, what is energy storage and what do these grid scale batteries have to do with the clean energy transition? Yeah, great question. So energy storage itself is the process of capturing and storing energy in a form for later use. Uh, it is a critical component of modern en- renewable energy systems as it helps address that intermittency and variable nature of many of the renewable energy sources like wind, solar. So when the wind isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining, uh, batteries such as lithium-ion technology provide that median between and connecting both towards a renewable world. But on the flip side, we're seeing fires and others, uh, severe events happening across the industry. And uh, it is it is imperative to understand that this is not the norm. We need to act better as an industry. We need to be at the forefront of safety. And we cannot allow, uh, we cannot allow safety to for, be forgotten while the technology advances. It's important to keep safety, fire safety, excuse me, as the number one priority as we advance in this space. Yeah. And, you know, it's important to note over the last year, Wartsala has really done quite a bit in terms of establishing itself as the benchmark for energy storage, fire safety and fire safety testing. Right. And we've seen press releases and trade releases come out over the last two years on this topic. So I, it kind of begs the question with which with so much emphasis on fire safety and combustion safety, like why are we talking about this? Are these batteries and these storage facilities more prone to fires than other kinds of uh, energy systems? Yeah, great question. So to start off that discussion, fire and even explosion safety in relation to battery energy storage is critical for multiple reasons. I think primarily number one is safety. Uh, Lithium ion batteries are widely used in energy storage systems uh, for their high energy density and efficiency. But On the flip side, we see that they're more prone to a phenomenon called thermal runaway, uh, which can lead to fires and even explosions under certain conditions. It's essential to address these safety concerns so that we can prevent accidents and protect lives and even property 
for that matter. Uh, in recent years, there's been a number of fires at large energy storage facilities, and that has resulted in a negative public perception. So when we talk about fire safety, it's because of these events that have made it to the mainstream media that causes us to make and act on that. So public perception is a big thing. Uh, accidents involving these technologies can lead to a negative perception and uh, ensuring safety and uh, actively communicating safety measures can help bolster public confidence in the use of energy storage. Yeah, and I think that's critically important. Noah, do you have anything to add to that from the uh, FRA perspective? Yeah, I, I would just chime in a little bit and, and, and uh, you know, just for some context, we, we get it heavily involved in, in a lot of petrochemical and oil and gas industry type of projects in addition to, you know, battery related things. So, right. You're so not we, just we, a battery guy or like, a you know, to use the derogatory <laughs> term we see in our comments, you're not a tree hugging hippie. You are here I, I, to prevent correct. fires. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I do love trees and I, I do hug them occasionally, but no, uh, you know, to touch on your, your, your point. Yeah. Our, our main objective is, is really ensuring safety and yes. recognizing that fires occur everywhere. So we, we try our best to, you know, to prevent them, but we know we can't eliminate them all. And so it's to kind of mitigate the risks and, and keep the impacts as small as possible. And so when we talk about it from like a, an energy storage and, and batteries in particular, you know, one thing I think is really important to note is everything is kind of comparative and relative. And so they get a lot of attention and they make the news because it's kind of new. But, you know, if you look at the things that have really had a, a lot of impact over the years, in particular, even just the, you know, this, this past calendar year, you know, the, the biggest energy related incidents have been things that, you know, existing, you know, petrochemical and, and oil and gas facilities or train derailments or things like that, that have had, you know, far reaching impacts. Whereas the ESS makes the news, you know, it, it's great for ratings, but by and large, they're, they, 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 they don't really have much of a, an impact from a, a life safety risk. You know, nobody's been injured. And even from a business interruption and so forth, they, you know, the, the impacts tend to be relatively minimal. So we, we come at it from a, a little bit of a kind of looking at the industry as a whole and comparing both the, you know, ESS uh, type of incidents, but also everything else that kind of comes into play from energy storage. We see all the time from an EV and an e-mobility space, we mm -hmm. see the electric car fires make the news. Whenever there's a Tesla on fire, there's 5,000 people taking pictures of it. It gets into all the news publications, all the trades, all the car magazines. But when you look at the actual numbers and statistics, the risk of fire for an electric vehicle is significantly smaller, significantly lower than it is for diesel, CNG, even other alternative fuels to gasoline. So- is this something similar? Are we seeing, in your opinion, that a lot of this is being blown out of proportion because it is new technology or because there's a, a ratings interest in it and it's actually kind of similar statistics to what we're seeing on the automotive side where EVs are actually less prone to fires? So I, I'd say it, it's maybe not blown out of proportion, but I think there is a definitely a corollary to it. So you know, when we look at the energy segment as a whole, it's not just, you know, kind of the, the end use of it, but it's the entire stream that's involved. And so we have to transport oil, we have to process it, we have to do all these things. 
and it's it's not just you know consumed in cars and homes and so when you look at that in total and you look at at, at batteries in particular y- yeah I, I think it is blown a little bit out of proportion partly because it's very new and so people you know kind of fear the unknown I, I think there's improvements that can be made in educating the public and and getting folks comfortable with things and it's also just you know you brought up the micro mobility aspect is that the things that also are really making the news that are truly tragic are you know a lot of the 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 cheap scooters and things that people are bringing into their homes and charging and and those are a very different entity they do have lithium ion batteries in them but the safety features and testing and everything else that's required on the energy storage side is missing from that but the two kind of get conflated together because they both have batteries and so right. people see it on the news and they say, oh, this is terrible. The sky is falling. And they really are, you know, kind of two different, two different, you know, animals, so to speak. So, so yeah, I think it's, at its core, you're, you're largely correct that it's uh, maybe a little bit overblown. Remote workers and other citizens of the world seeking a vibrant community and a sustainable, all-inclusive travel experience tailored to modern professionals need to know about Surfbreak. With locations in Honolulu, Hawaii, and Puerto Escondido, Mexico, Surfbreak is a co-living and co-working community designed for professionals, slow tourists, or anyone looking for a full-service living experience that enables real connections to thrive. Surfbreak's unique lifestyle concept promotes unplanned collaboration and spontaneous collision that helps new ideas blossom with a supportive environment, all with an emphasis on authenticity and sustainability. Clean Tech Talk listeners get $100 off your first stay when you mention Clean Technica at sign up. Clean Technica's founder, Scott Cooney, says their concept is simple. They create a space where people interact without having to work at it or plan it and provide the right resources for connection and enjoyment. And the magic follows. Be part of that magic and do it for $100 less when you mention Clean Technica. Offer valid for new Surfbreak signups only. Terms and conditions apply. See surfbreakcoliving.com for more info. Sure. You know, and that's a perfect segue into the next question, which is, you know, <laughs> you mentioned that the industry takes more steps. The energy industry takes several steps to manage these risks, to stop these things from going into thermal runaway and having fires. Can you walk us through what some of these steps are and what are the steps that industry needs to take or the energy industry needs to take in order to keep things under control? Yeah, so I guess from from my perspective, and obviously I'm sure Wurzelow's got uh, its its own as well, is I think number one is education. So, so people always feel more comfortable with things once they know more about it, once they're used to it. And, and you know, we encounter hazards and risks every day that we accept without even thinking about them. And so, you know, some of it is just familiarity. The, the other big part, though, is really on you know, the, the, the continuous improvement in testing. And so you, you mentioned that, but, you know, the energy storage systems are required to go through pretty extensive testing that underwriter laboratories has the standard for. It's, you know, kind of a little bit more than most folks probably want to know, but the 9540A testing. And that looks at every component of the system from the, the actual battery cell all the way up until the full building block of, of the ESS. And in addition to that, it has to go through a number of listings and certifications and things that are all done, you know, by nationally recognized testing laboratories, you know, very well established things. And so it, it brings a certain level of, of quality there, uh, not that it eliminates everything, 
but its objective is to make sure that if something fails, because we test it, it, you know, intentionally to fail, that it fails in a safe manner. We know failures are going to happen, just like kind of electrical fires occasionally happen in the household or things, but we want it to happen in a safe way. Right. And so that's really where things are being kind of driven towards. Yeah, you know, and we're talking about testing and systems and controls. And, you know, we, we made the point, I think, a little while ago that there does seem to be a reduced objective risk or, or at least a, uh, a risk that seems to be lower than what it's being made out to be. Are all these systems and testing really necessary or is this just something that's being done to appease legislators? I'll, I'll leave that to Michelle. Just because there are fires in the industry doesn't mean we should we should let it go or accept it as a norm. I, I know that these events are tragic. They do have an implication on the, on the industry, but uh, the impact is low. And the main priority that we should all get aboard on is having a robust system, hardware, software-wise, to really mitigate these risks. Uh, we, we, we shouldn't really take a back seat on this and accept this as a norm going forward. In terms of Wartzilla, I know we've done a extensive testing that uh, Noah just mentioned. Uh, we do a lot of testing that goes and meets the standards as well as above and beyond that. Uh, we're intentionally lighting our products up uh, and seeing how it behaves in the worst and absolute uh, dire situation. So uh, yeah, testing is a big part for us. R&D, we put, poured in a lot of time and investment into that, precisely why we have an excellent safety record. Yeah. And you know, so why are these companies doing so? You know, obviously, Wurzel is a leader in this field, but you're not the only company doing it. Why are all these companies going through so much fire safety testing in a way that really doesn't seem to be happening on the petrochemical side? Is it something that's required to deliver a project to kind of put it in the ground and call it done? Typically, yeah. Uh, I know there's a lot of push from authority having jurisdiction, AHAs, the eventual. Of receivers of this technology, the customers and community, they, they push for a lot of these uh, testing and test reports. But from a manufacturer perspective, we really want to see how our product does and how it behaves under abnormal and actual worst case scenarios. Uh, so like I mentioned before, the bespoke testing, which is above and beyond what the current codes and standards require, it is intentionally igniting our product, our actual Gritsol Quantum, uh, igniting it into an absolute worst case, full and fully engulfed fire and seeing how it behaves. And I'm sure Noah can pitch in on this, but it behaves similarly to a, a typical fire that we deal with, like plastics fire. It is nothing uh, different. There's nothing new about this sort of technology. Yeah. And, and I would love to hear from Noah on this because, you know, this is going to sound probably needlessly cynical, but I, I, you have a little bit of a reputation as being the resident cynic on clean technica like how how do we believe the manufacturer of any product that says it's safe i mean who is doing the testing who's involved are there third parties and you know ultimately who are who is monitoring these tests yep. to make sure that they're comprehensive and and representing real world scenarios that's a, it's a good question so you know, and the short answer is there's multiple layers and, and it really starts out at, at, at the, I'd say at the state level, there there are standards and codes in place that dictate how you build anything, a house, a, 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 you know, a high rise building and also energy storage systems. And so they have requirements and codes and standards in place 
that in, in, in most states that say you have to follow either National Fire Protection Association standards, which is NFPA, or you have to follow the International Fire Code, which is similar, but a, a, a different uh, organization. And that kind of lays the groundwork for it. And within that, they then tell you, hey, you have to get these things tested. They have to be tested by an approved laboratory. They're you know, neutral labs. It's, it's groups that most folks probably haven't paid too much attention to. But if you pick up, you know, your, your phone charger, or you flip your laptop over and you'll see, you know, UL approved, it's on the extension cords and whatever. They, they basically test everything, you know, your blender, your dryer, you know, any, anything and everything, including energy storage systems and batteries. So they're, you know, basically the, the nationally recognized testing lab that oversees uh, a lot of this. And, and so, you know, they're non-biased, the results are just what they are. And so, you know, if, if a product does poorly, then that's the results that are going to be out there. And if it does well, then those are also going to be there. So when an organization wants to go in and, and put an energy storage system someplace, they have to provide all of that test data. They have to provide all the engineering analysis and, and everything that goes along with that to the local authority. They have to usually provide it to the fire service as well so that they, they understand what's going on. And good, bad, or, or otherwise, the, the authority and the fire service look at that and they can either approve it or not. And they come back with recommendations and so forth that you know they would like to see to, to help them either respond in the unlikely event of a fire or, or whatever the case may be. And, and then the last thing I'll kind of throw out there is it touches on, I think, something you said and, and Michelle said is that you know, we, we try and make these safe, but uh, maybe I'm a little bit of a cynic as well. I, I, I always like to tell people, look, fires produce smoke. And just the same way that if you have a house fire, that the smoke can be toxic. And that's usually what you know winds up hurting people. If we're burning plastics and we're burning other materials, Anytime it catches on fire, whether it's a couch, whether it's a, a, a plastic chair, whether it's uh, an internal combustion engine vehicle or an energy storage system, we're not advising people to, you know, that, yeah, stick your head in the smoke and breathe it. But it's very much the same as what you would see anywhere else for a lot of these other things. And so the risk and the hazard associated with it isn't really new. The guidance that is given to, to to the first responders and others is is largely the same. And so there's a lot of things that we've known for the past 50 years that really just kind of get folded in. Hello, cleantech enthusiasts. If you enjoy cleantech talk and cleantechnica, please consider pitching in a few dollars a month at cleantechnica.com slash support. That's cleantechnica.com slash support, where you can sign up in seconds with a credit card pitch in a few dollars a month or whatever you like. Some people actually contribute $100 a month to help us cover climate change and clean tech and try to help the world one word at a time. Thank you. You know, you mentioned a lot of things there that I think are worth unpacking. And, and I know I'm going to miss some, but I, one good. in particular, you know, you mentioned the similarity with what some automakers are doing. And I like to go back to the auto industry because that's my security blanket that's where i spent 20 years of my career so i i know that field and i also know that when it comes to safety testing and safety certifications whether it's iihs or nhtsa mm -hmm. giving you five stars or making you a top safety pick 
some manufacturers really do go above and beyond so that they can present that as part of their marketing. And we don't really think of battery energy storage or the energy industry as an industry that is subject to marketing. So and maybe this is a question from Michelle. Why are some manufacturers jumping through these hoops, going the extra mile and going above and beyond to meet and exceed these safety regulations where other companies are just seem to be saying good enough? Good question. Great question, actually. So prior to Wardstill, I was actually a risk engineer for a utility on the East Coast. So I've been on that customer side and I feel like there has to be, number one, a cultural change when we approach lithium ion batteries. Uh, manufacturers should stop thinking of fires as an in inevitable thing that can be managed. Instead, we should address the root cause of what's going on, what are the risks, how do we mitigate it, and we should invest a lot of energy and resources rigorously testing to ensure the system behaves as designed. Uh, so we should prioritize, honestly, in innovation and having that safety testing uh, be done before providing the product to the customer. Uh, so a lot of manufacturers, including Warsilla, are going above and beyond that. We're testing it, how it behaves in the worst possible way before we see ourselves in the news. And that, that's honestly an important thing to consider. Yeah. So, you know, so there are some serious safety concerns that that are out in the public. Do you think that this kind of negative publicity hinders deployment and to go back to what Noah was saying earlier that there are existing threats and existing dangers with you know petrochemical and other existing technologies hydro nuclear everything else that we've kind of gotten used to and take for granted <laughs> and that this is a new set of risks do you think that some of these things are threatening to slow down deployment especially as batteries are being installed kind of closer to human areas and where people live and work and eat and go to school? Yeah, so I, that's a great question. So a lot of folks that's trying to, you know, bring it back to something that they understand relative context and and understanding that, yeah, for, for the industry as a whole, I think our, our, our biggest challenge largely is kind of the newness but we have to continue to evolve and in, in from a safety perspective, you know, continued testing like what Wordzilla is doing and others that really, you know, continue to advance, show that these are safe because, you know, if there's enough pushback and, and, and so forth, then it really can hinder the growth of the industry as a whole. And, and, and really, you know, the, the safety record, when we look at in particular, injuries and, and, and impacts to, to, uh, to, to people is quite small. There was some, uh, you know, about four or five years ago that kind of prompted the development of standards. And since then on the energy storage side, we haven't really seen anything. And Whereas, to be clear, yeah. and I don't mean to cut you off here, but to no, be clear, good. none of those were Wartzilla. Like Wartzilla's no. name was not in the news <laughs> no. associated with these. There were fires in the news with best systems, but yeah. companies like Wartzilla are in the news for the right reasons and to prevent right. that. So I just want to be clear as we're talking about these fires that happened <laughs> four or five years ago, they were not your fires. We're here talking about your response to those fires, which I think is equally critical, right? 
what can other manufacturers do? And this is probably a question for Michelle. What can other manufacturers do, you know, without necessarily giving away your secret sauce to get up to speed when it comes to fire safety, to prevent the kind of incidents that were in the news and just kind of basically keep putting their best foot forward so that we can advance this technology everywhere that it's needed? Yeah, great question. Uh, without spilling too much into our secret formula, I, I think it boils <laughs> down into the three main components, uh, starting with hardware. Hardware-wise, there are multiple subsystems to consider, thermal, fire detection, fire alarm, electrical, mechanical. It's a whole pot of stuff we have to consider. Uh, we need to ensure that the actual enclosure that the batteries are housed in are properly designed for any fire or even deflagration, aka explosions. Uh, concerns. The enclosure needs to first be adequately designed and also cooled uh, thermally to ensure that it's in that optimal range for the batteries. Speaking in terms of electrical, we need to have electrical infrastructure within the, the, the actual enclosure to protect it against surges. Uh, number two, I believe software-wise, Wartzilla has, has a robust platform called GEMS. Uh, that's our integrated EMS system to monitor how those cells behave at a cell level. So having that extensive detail readily available for customers to use is a great indicator from early on what's going to happen, if it's gonna fail, uh, et cetera. So having a uh, so hardware, software, and then of course we've talked about it a lot, R&D, R&D research and development is a huge priority for us. We've conducted a lot of the mandatory tests and we've gone above and beyond to see how our how our product performs in the worst case scenarios. And uh, ultimately, we do this so that we're at that forefront. We can go to customers with these reports in conjunction with FRA and uh, NOAA's team. We can go to customers, approach them saying, hey, think of every worst case scenario you've thought of. We've done. We've done testing, not only real life testing, but modeling efforts as well. So yeah. yeah, you know, you mentioned the housing. I switched my picture back here. For those of you on the video feed, you can see it. If you're in the audio podcast, you're going to have to use the power of imagination to uh, get this one. But, you know, these are your housings. These are some of your best systems that you have. I believe these are in Europe, but you can see on them, there is digital monitoring system. There is cooling. It looks like air conditioner units on the side. And this is something that, you know, we've seen again, in the EV space and in the, the home energy storage space, where the better systems, the more high-end systems do have this thermal management. They do have these software control systems. From the site manager side, from the site operator side, from the utility side, what does that software look like? What does that monitoring look like? And is that something that can easily be understood and handled by them if they're installing this into kind of a new installation that has disparate parts and disparate systems. You know, you've got in the picture here, you've got wind, obviously some of them are gonna have wind, some are gonna be coal, some are gonna be nuclear. Can this handle all of that? Is it like energy agnostic or does it only work with certain systems? Most definitely. So GEMS, what we call our software platform is a robust system that can integrate multiple renewable energy uh, sources like wind, solar, etc. It ties beautifully in with our grid solve quantum that I've called housing before. Uh, the actual product is called grid solve quantum. And on GEMS, you can literally see every detail you want at a cell level. 
So from everything from the actual unit to the module to the cell level, you can see every detail, cell temperature, voltage, uh, all the details that are needed to, for first responders, uh, for also for the customer perspective, end-to-end -end user interfaces available as well. Uh, so it, it is a very big platform. Uh, I know there's a lot of details and a lot of better people who can describe that, uh, but uh, it, it works beautifully with our principal quantum. Noah, you know, you guys have just been great this, this whole episode. Noah and Michelle, both of you, do you have any predictions for, uh, you know, how fire safety is going to evolve and develop in recent years uh, or in the coming years? And what kind of other systems we're going to start to see as more utilities and more microgrids and more communities start to put this energy storage technology into use? No, I do want, no one do you want yeah, to go, go for it. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the first shot at it. Okay, so from a manufacturer perspective, without spilling into too much uh, into that crystal ball, I believe we're going to see a higher energy density uh, in the coming years. We're seeing a lot more energy density packed in that same prismatic cell, the mm -hmm. same form factor, uh, and that's going to be more prevalent in the coming years. And then, in is the that a chemistry thing? You know, like I think. There's a lot of push now for solid state batteries. There's conversations mm -hmm. about LFP, lithium iron, even sodium batteries. Are you seeing that that kind of advancing chemistry technology is really coming into play? Or do you think it's just more refinement of what's already there? The latter of what you said, we're seeing more refinement of the actual lithium ion technology. The chemistry remains the same. We're just seeing a higher advancing technology with more energy density inside of that cell. Uh, so we're seeing a little bigger in terms of the actual dimensions of the cell, uh, but it's higher energy density, which means more energy density quantums that we can provide to customers. But in the near future, I, I honestly predict uh, uh, we'll see slightly different chemistries entering the market. Uh, I know sodium ion is on the verge of coming up in the near, towards the latter end of the 2020s. Uh, so we're, we're going to see that shift. But again, batteries are absolutely critical right now to provide that intermittency between renewable and sustainable energy. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that there is, and maybe this is a question for Noah, as you look forward and you see these greater and greater energy densities, do you see an increasing risk of fire and thermal runaway? Or do you think that the technology to keep that kind of stuff at bay is keeping pace with the energy density conversation. That's a, a great question. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what I would say is, is that I think for the, the manufacturers that do it well, then they tend to be keeping pace. So I, I don't know that the prevalence of them in, in terms of, you know, probability is really going to go up. But obviously if you look at the growth curves for the industry and how many batteries we're producing every year, our our safety will actually have to outpace the the, the development because we're just going to see more and more and more of them. So, you know, the the math tells us we're probably going to see more incidents just because we're seeing you know exponential growth in the industry. But that doesn't mean that they're going to necessarily be worse by any means because I I think there are there's there's lots of research into safe you know from safety uh, of the systems across the board and whether it's an you know, looking at chemistries, if it's looking at mitigation systems, whether it's monitoring systems, pretty much every aspect of kind of that, you know, the envelope that includes includes the batteries are are being evaluated. 
and improved upon. And that includes the standards themselves and in terms of how we're actually testing them, uh, what we're looking for and so forth. And, and so that is kind of a, you know, it's a, a, a maturing industry. Uh, we've got a ways to go, but, you know, I think everybody is heavily invested in making sure that, you know, they can be operated as safely as possible and, 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 and in the unlikely event that something happens that everybody that's, you know, associated with it, you know, is prepared to, to address it. But we're definitely seeing advancements at a fundamental level, you know, academic levels and so forth that, you know, probably over the next decade will be trickling in. And uh, I think what we see 10 years from now is probably going to look, you know, significantly different, perhaps than what we're looking at today. Yeah, and I really appreciate that that openness from both of you guys in terms of looking at this from an objective point of view, not making this, you know, a, a 30 minute commercial for Wartzela and really taking this seriously as an industry problem, as something that we all need to kind of get together as energy customers, as journalists, as testers, as manufacturers to really solve a lot of these safety challenges, real and perceived, right? Because not all of these safety challenges are real. These are safety challenges that are perceived so that we can keep the clean energy transition on track. Thank you guys so much for being a part of this. And I always kind of close these out with this question. Noah, Michelle, you guys have been so great for being a part of the show. For those of you who are listening along, for the listeners, for the people watching this on YouTube, what is the best way for them to follow what you're doing on social media to kind of learn more about what Wartzela is doing for safety and what Wartzela is doing to make this an easier integration for utility companies, grids, and communities to, um, you know, kind of keep the evolution of green technology moving forward? We'll start with Michelle. Yeah, LinkedIn is an excellent source. I know personally, I spend too much time on that versus Facebook. But yeah, LinkedIn, uh, our website, storage.wartzilla.com forward slash safety. Uh, our partnership with FRA, we've done a lot of testing and more testing to come. Uh, there's a plethora of sources we can get it from. Uh, but stay tuned. I know we're excited for that energy transition for decarbonization in the world. As an industry, we're on track to pass, I believe, the latest report, nine terawatt hours of capacity by 2050. So it is a that's lot. A lot. Of, that's a lot of battery yeah. coming online. Uh, we're excited. Yeah. And that's all double A's, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're happy to be at that forefront. Yeah, and Noah, again, for people who are interested in this, for people who want to know more about what the industry is doing in terms of testing and safety, how do they follow what you're doing? Thanks. Uh, much, much the same way as what Michelle said. We, we've got a, a, you know, LinkedIn presence. Um, you can follow myself there and, and the organization Fire Risk Alliance. And, you know, we, we, we post there frequently. Our website's firerisk-alliance.com. And uh, stay tuned. We, we actually have a, a, a targeted website that's coming out relatively soon that is focused really just on battery energy storage and getting facts and information out there. It's going to be free. It's best-sdk.com. It'll be out probably in in uh, several weeks, but a bunch of free resources. It's not tailored to any specific area or manufacturer. Uh, it's really just for for the for the public and, and folks to get as much information as they'd like out of it. And uh, so those are probably the best venues. And uh, there's always email and things like that. But uh, LinkedIn is is probably the, the place to start. 
That sounds great, guys. All right. Well, thank you so much for being a part of Clean Tech Talk. Follow along on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google's Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and whatever quality podcasts are sold. <laughs> thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.